Life Story podcast. That's where we sit down and we speak with different people and learn more to their story. Okay, you know, I probably say this every time we have a guest, but I'm going to say it again. I think Sam Andrews was one of my favorites. I have always enjoyed Sam. And again, um, working with him on and off different committees here at church. But boy, does he have a great story. And he had me giggling and laughing and very emotional with a couple of his uh, stories as well. Yeah, you know, I I did know Sam real well, and we had I have a page and a half of notes from talking with him today, and just really a good time. I really enjoyed about his time in the Navy. I mean, it's a small part of what we talked about today, but him yeah. becoming a shellback that was kind of a cool story. So I enjoyed yeah. that. Yeah, I I really enjoyed meeting Sam. I had met him earlier, and I found out that we both grew up in the same town together. Lamarck at different times, obviously, and we didn't know each other, but it was really fun to connect with him in that way, you know, and learn about his roots and what it was like when he grew up. Oh, for sure. You guys are going to love this story. Welcome, Sam. Thanks for joining us on More of My Story podcast. We've been looking forward to talking to you, Uh, Carmel Ann, myself, and Mike uh, tonight, today. And uh, just really look look forward to to learning more about you and your story. So I'm going to jump right into it. Um, You filled out some information for us, and I was really uh, interested to learn. You were born in Galveston. So on our our prior podcast, we learned um, BOI, born on the island. And I guess that's a... I was born in Galveston, right. But I grew up in Lamarck, right over the bridge, just like Mike here. <laughs> All right. So, so tell us about that. What, what was it like growing up in Lamarck? Lamarck was a small town. Uh, right on the coast there. Uh, had easy access to Galveston. Lamarck was what I call a bedroom community. Most people who worked in Lamarck uh, lived in, well, most people who lived in Lamarck lived in Worked in Galveston or Texas City mostly. A lot of men worked, and I'll say men back then, worked in the refineries, or uh, or worked on uh, the port, worked in the port of Galveston. Uh, most of them worked in refineries. Uh, I didn't know what clean air smelled like until I got away and joined the Navy. It's <laughs> kind of like Pasadena. Yes, that's got all the fumes from the refineries and the plants. But it was a it was a nice place to grow up in. People were friendly. Uh, small town school was a big deal. High school sports. Uh, everybody knew everyone uh, more or less. So it well, was kind of neat growing up there. Yeah, and I guess they must have really known your family because you guys had nine children, right? Nine children. Uh, I'm number eight of nine. My mother was married twice. Okay. Uh, and so I came from the second marriage. I had five siblings from mother's first marriage. Okay. Uh, so did everybody live was, in this? Uh, segregated back then. Sure. Uh, as most, most places in Texas were. Uh, you had black schools and white schools, and I went from elementary through junior high, uh, Porter Junior High in uh, predominantly black schools. 
colored, as they called it back then. And then they integrated schools, uh, probably when I was in junior high. Uh, That's a tough age. Hmm? That's a tough age. So how, how was that going, going through the integration as a middle schooler? Uh, I'll go back to the fifth grade. Uh, I think they had started integration, but they hadn't forced it. Hadn't forced busing. And my mother decided to send me to Lamar Elementary, which I think is where Mike went to, to high school. Uh, they changed the name to Lamar Elementary, but I think it was the oh, yeah. high school. Uh, I was one of two black, black kids in the class. I think I got pushed around and called some names in a restroom uh, first couple of weeks or so. And then kids got to know me, and then I made some friends that would, would last throughout school. Uh, when they uh, And then I went back to the black schools, uh, and then uh, I guess the eighth grade, I ended up going to, uh, well, schools that they integrated, where they forced uh, integration through busing. I was one of the last kids to go through Woodland, uh, Woodland's uh, Junior High, I think it was Woodland's, uh, until it closed down and then they integrated the schools. The other the high school was Lincoln High School, which Mike knows about. And uh, and so they shut those schools down and brought us all together. They air-conditioned the schools and they integrated them. Oh, nice. <laughs> that was something. We used to have big fans up on the wall that blew your papers around. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine how hot that would be down there and the Texas heat like that and down on the coast and humidity and it had to be awful. <laughs> You know, it was awful, but, but we didn't know any different. Yeah. So we were used to it. Uh, I remember just you walk through the neighborhood or ride through the neighborhoods on your bicycle, and you could tell what everyone was having for dinner because the windows were open. You could, yes. you could smell the steak and gravy and onions. And <laughs> yes. Chicken frying. Or <laughs> you could smell the coffee brewing in people's houses and, it was a, uh, so yeah. It was a it was a nice little town to grow up in. Uh, so, was, mm -hmm. so growing up, you you mentioned in here that you, uh, you know, you you play with the neighbor kids and and uh, you started working on cars with your brother. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, do you want to talk about that? That's when you're in high school, maybe. Yeah, high school. Uh, I was always tinkering with something, and I got blamed anytime anything got broken. He did it uh, <laughs> from the time I was a kid, probably. Uh, started messing with go karts and mini bikes when I was old enough to do that, and so that carried on into cars. Uh, my mother bought a, a 61 Impala, and this wasn't in 1961, this was in the late 70s. And uh, we drove it around, uh, and then my brother bought a 61 Impala after he got rid of the mini bike that we co-owned. Oh, that's funny. It's supposed to have been that we co-owned it, but he was older than me, and I hardly ever got to ride it. Yeah. <laughs> he finally gave it up when he bought a car. He put mag wheels on the thing, and 
uh, had the interior redone and put side pipes on it and nice eight track and uh, <laughs> <That's funny>. eight track. <laughs> so his car was all fixed up, but the thing about it is uh, that Paula and mother had had a little later model engine in it, same size engine. It had a little more horsepower, so I could beat him with his fancy wheels and everything. Funny. <laughs> uh, he put a 327 in his car and souped it all up. And those days were over for me. Yeah. But uh, we would we would hang out with other guys. We were some guys call us call call them today gearheads. We were all ladies under each other's hoods, looking at the engines and talking about horsepower and this and that and how to make and guys street racing was back in then i would save uh save up all this money buy some headers and carburetor and money for mag wheels wash dishes at a restaurant for a year to buy all this stuff oh my goodness <laughs> and fix a car up and you know they that was a thing street racing and, and and going everywhere in your car and hanging out at the park or riding over the gals and i remember Riding over that Galveston Bridge doing 110, 100. Oh. I wasn't driving, but one of the friends was. They'd be racing over, over the Galveston and going over that bridge. It's a wonder we any of us lived. <laughs> 110, that's crazy. That's crazy. So your brother, is. Uh, how much older was your brother that, that you were doing this with? Let's see, I'm 63, Marion 60, he's 67, he's okay. three years older than me, three and a half years older than me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He was Mr. Popular, Mr. Uh, Mr. Honor Road, first grade through high school. Wow. <laughs> and the girls, he was popular with the girls and well-dressed and everything. And so I had to walk in that shadow. So was that, did that make it easier because you could say, what was, what is his name, Marion? His name is Marion. Mm -hmm. So would you be able to be like, oh, I'm Marion's little brother, or, or, or was it more like, oh, here's Marion's little brother? Well, I didn't have to tell anyone. Yeah. <laughs> they all knew it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's so, so you had a great childhood. You, you had a lot of friends. You hung out with your brother. You got into cars. You mentioned working. Uh, washing dishes, and uh, you did that for a year or two years, or was that like your first job at like a, a true job? That was my first job, uh, Bonanza Steakhouse. I don't know if any of y'all remember. I think they call them Ponderosa in some places, but it was Bonanza Steakhouse. Mm -hmm. uh, that was one over in Texas City. That's where I started. Uh, mother had gotten me a job at uh, Minimax. Mike knows about Minimax. Oh, yeah. Store. Oh, yeah. I was sacking groceries, and I, it just didn't feel right for me. I was putting canned goods and milk on top of the bread. And <laughs> That's funny. I think some of the customers felt sorry for me. I got a couple of tips anyway, but <laughs> I quit that job, and mother was something upset. Uh, uh, my father left when I was five. They got divorced, okay. and so uh, we didn't know where he was no child support or anything. So we had to make it on our own and try to help support the household. So the when your father left, um, the the five children from your mother's first marriage, was, were they living with you as well? You know, they were older. Okay. And uh, most of them had, had, had left. Okay. And uh, 
mar gotten married, they kind of helped raise me. Oh, sure. As a child. And uh, I get reminded of it once in a while. I remember when I used to bathe you and change your diaper. <laughs> <laughs> My oldest brother was a seaman, a merchant seaman, and he uh, rode ships. Uh, I think he kind of followed followed my father's pattern. Dad was a merchant seaman, okay. although he he was his stepson. But mm -hmm. uh, my oldest brother was a seaman, and he would ship out of Galveston a lot of times. Be gone for six months a year and come home wow. uh, with all kinds of stories and gifts and money. And he was a good-looking guy, and he was uh, popular with the ladies. And yeah. <laughs> he liked to go out when he got in and nightclub and. Uh, splash that uh, Avon, not Avon, that uh, Old Spice on everywhere, Brute. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, so so yeah, there was, it, it was a crowded house and we, uh, we moved in 1968 or 69. Uh, <clears throat> our mother and brother got together and saved up some money and they bought a, a lot and uh, built a house. Uh, a nice brick house, and we moved from the one-room wooden shack into a, a nice house. Nice. How old were you? I was probably probably about 12 or so. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that was a nice move then, because like you said, it was pretty crowded. Up yeah, that was a nice move. Mm -hmm. It sure was. Uh, we had a next-door neighbor named Mr. Bannum. He was a he was a bachelor, and I think his son lived with him, Pete. Pete was a young man, uh, and Mr. Bynum worked for the Lamarck Independent School District. He was one of those guys who mowed the lawns and everything. He came from some little country town, but he was sure a nice man. But he had a one-room house, a uh, little house up on blocks. He was next door, and he had an old Dodge truck. He had a little slant six-cylinder engine guys were into that and it was a three-speed I think I learned to drive on that thing oh wow! I remember mother complaining to us about how how a light bill was I got a $10 light bill she'd say Mr. Bynum next door has a $3 light bill <laughs> <laughs> all he had was a refrigerator light and a couple of clocks probably <laughs> oh, but he had goodness. a $3 light bill and we had a $10 light bill nice. and uh I also remember her complaining about ground beef going up to 25 cents a pound. Isn't that funny? <laughs> That's funny. When I started driving, gas was about 30 cents a gallon. Gosh. So you put a dollar in a car and drive all day, a couple of days. 110 miles over to Galveston. Or 110 miles. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So put a dollar in and go to Galveston and back. Yes. Sam, I, we reached out to your friend David. David oh, yeah, Hessel. David Hessel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He said that you guys became friends and you were working together at the, I think you guys worked together at Bonanza. Is that right? I worked at a Bonanza uh, up in Houston here. And uh, I, was a, I was a freshman in college. And those guys were seniors at Dobie High School in South Houston. I was living with my sister and brother-in-law and start uh, going to TSU, Texas Southern. Oh, yeah. College. And, Work part time at Bonanza. Mm -hmm. And you guys, you guys had a shared liking of, of uh, cars, and Absolutely. you also 
You also talked about making the perfect hamburger. <laughs> and you get you had the Sammy Burger. The Sammy so, Burger. So kind of what what is the Sammy Burger? Do you remember what it was? I think the Sammy Burger was a a chicken fried steak on the hamburger bun. All the cheese you could stack on it. Lettuce, tomato, pickles, onions, and uh, that was a Sammy burger. Oh and we usually make we make those when the manager wasn't around. We're <laughs> 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 supposed to have just a piece of hamburger meat with oh, a slip of chopped steak in there. <laughs> funny. So you you graduated from high school. You decided? Did you go right to TSU when you graduated? Went right to TSU. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you went to TSU, you're there. How long did you go to TSU for? About a year. Okay. And then, was, uh, and then take it from there. I was majoring in electronics engineering. I didn't even know what that was. <laughs> My brother-in-law was an electrical engineer, and I liked electronics, so I thought, oh, I'll do electronics engineering. Well, that was fine until I found out that it was mostly math, because math didn't like me. <laughs> uh, I just kind of messed around. I enjoyed working at the restaurant more than I did going to college. And uh, I just, I just didn't, I really didn't care for TSU. I was accustomed to being around friends who were black, white, Hispanic. And TSU was an all, mostly black school back then. And I just probably should have gone to U of H. I just enjoyed being around the, a, a variety of people, yeah. cultures, and uh, and plus I was majoring in something that really didn't interest me. Uh, and then I found out my buddy Joe, who I worked at Bonanza in Texas City with, joined the Navy. And I thought, you know, well, my mother had just gotten killed. And I was, I guess I was feeling kind of lost. So I thought, you know, I've always, in the back of my mind, I've always wanted, thought I'd go in the military, and it probably would have been the Navy. So I went over to talk to a Navy recruiter down there in Texas City. And those recruiting officers were all lined up in a row, Navy, Air Force, Marines, Army, and probably Coast Guard. Well, on my way to the Navy recruiter, the sergeant stepped out and started talking to me. It's Marine. He had me signing papers and watching movies. <laughs> I can make you a cook, Sam, in the Marine Corps. <laughs> you know, I got to thinking, you know, if I don't say something soon, I'm going to be a Marine. <laughs> I actually want to go Navy. <laughs> so, so I told him, and he said, well, if you change your mind, come back and see me. So I went over and talked to the Navy guys. And then I was thinking on the back of my mind after that, do I really want to do this? This was over a few days. And man, they kept calling the house, bugging me. And I finally just threw up my hands and said, okay. So I joined the Navy. Okay, so let's circle back a second here. Mm -hmm. So I did not know that your mom was killed. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, I was staying with my sister up in Houston, going to college and working at Bonanza. And I got a call from my sister to say, uh, she lives here in Houston, uh, come to the house. 
we need to go down to Lamarck. And uh, they didn't tell me what happened. Got down to Lamarck and went to the house and went to the backyard and mother was lying there on the ground. Uh, three bullet holes in her, shot three times. Oh, uh, Sam. Ants crawling all over. Oh, man. And uh, that's a hell of a wake up, you know. Oh, here. So, they never you found out who 19. killed her. Hmm? You were about 19? I was 19, that's right. Oh. So, they never found out who did it. She was, uh, I didn't know that woman to have an enemy in the world. She was loved everyone. Yeah. Uh, any friend of ours was a child of hers. Yeah. And uh, she would, believed in helping her neighbors and being Christian. And yeah. so never found out what happened there. Oh, that's just devastating. So I can see at that time then, and here you are, you know that TSU isn't really your community. And you then you talk to your friend Joe. And then so talking to the Marines <clears throat> and the Navy, I can see where you were probably just trying to, I mean, that's a lot for a 19-year-old. Yeah, it's quite a bit. Uh -huh. Oh my gosh. So then you ended up accepting the call to the Navy? <laughs> I just, I gave up joining the Navy. <laughs> my friend Joe was in boot camp in Orlando and I went to Orlando. I think I saw him twice while I was there. <laughs> I'm joining the Navy to be with Joe and I see him twice in boot camp. Yeah. And, uh, he shipped off to, a, <clears throat> I think, the USS Roosevelt. It was an aircraft carrier. And, uh, and what about you? Went on through boot camp, went to ordinance school in uh, Millington, Tennessee, off of Memphis. And then they sent me to San Diego for firefighting training. Every Sailor in the Navy is a firefighter. They teach you to fight fires because there's nowhere to go on the ship if something happens. And then I went to uh, Coronado Island, which is right, right over the bridge, and went to Air Launch Weapons School, uh, learned to work on missiles, bombs, and that kind of stuff for air, naval aircraft. And then uh, the Navy shipped me to Yokosuka, Japan. Went to the USS Midway. It's a... Uh, Carrier that was built for World War II, Midway class carrier. It's just like the Roosevelt that Joe was on. Uh, Roosevelt was a Midway class carrier. And uh, when I got to Yokosuka, it was a 19 hour flight there. Got there late at night and walked up to the ship. It was in dry dock, it was huge. It was gray and red, had scaffolding all over it. And all, all these hoses and lights and everything, and men were working on it and all this noise. And I thought to myself, this thing floats? <laughs> <laughs> but let me back up from there. When I was in San Diego on Coronado, they had uh, two or three carriers there and some other ships. And I walked on to one of the ships to visit. And I said, told the guys, well, I'm going to the carrier, the Midway. What's it? I want to see what it's like living on the ship. And they took me down. I don't, I don't remember what kind of ship it was. And I looked at the bunks 
And I said, man, y'all sleep in these things? And the sailor, he, he'd been in the Navy for a while. He was a petty officer. He said, son, let me tell you something. After a 12-hour day at sea, this is going to look like a king-sized bed to you. And he was right. <laughs> <laughs> so how long were you on, on the USS Midway? I was on the Midway for two years. It was a two-year assignment for a single sailor. If you were married and brought your wife, then it was a three-year requirement. But I was on it two years. And where all did you sail? We sailed. Well, let me back up a little bit. <clears throat> I came home from training one day out there in Yokosuka, and the midway was floating in what used to be a dry dock. And a couple of days later, we pulled up anchor, went out to sea, and that was one steaming ship. <laughs> Who did not know at the time? But we went to uh, Philippines very often, three, four, maybe five times a year. That was our second home, Philippines. Uh, we went to Australia, spent about six days in Australia. We left uh, 200 sailors in Australia. It seemed, well, went to Australia, we went to Thailand, went to Pakistan, we went to Africa, we went to Korea, Busan, Korea, and that's all the places I can think of right now. So but, uh, while you're in the Navy and you're and you're you're traveling and you're learning all the skills, are you still like an emotional mess just with everything that happened at home? I mean, was it helpful to be busy and involved? Um, like, I mean, was that just like a was that just a crazy time? I uh, I got to the midway, met a couple of sailors, and one of them ended up being a lifelong friend. Uh, and you thought about home, things kind of panned out and settled, settled down. Uh, the Midway was the only carrier home ported overseas. Okay. It was there during, for the Cold War. It was there for the Russian threat in case we went to war with Russia. It was the first carrier on the battle line if something happened. Mm. We stayed out at sea. High morale, I really grew into a man on that ship, learning responsibility. Yes. We would get into war games, the Navy does that, with the U.S. Air Force, because we carry aircraft, about 100 airplanes. We got into war games with the Nuclear Carrier Enterprise, which is newer and had an F-14 fighter Tomcats. We sank that ship before it could get any one Tomcat launch. They had four catapults. We had two. We were built for World War II. It was just one. We were highly trained. Just, it built a lot of pride and confidence in you. Yes. And uh, even as a man, it helped me grow into a man. And I learned some things about responsibility there that, that carried me throughout my life. Yeah. Uh, met sailors there and we we kind of kept in touch, and when we left that ship, we were kind of glad to, during that time, disco was in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you got moved, Sam? Every port we'd hit, you know, you hit, hit some little club, and that was a disco bar there. 
<laughs> Saturday Night Fever was a big movie. <laughs> so we were homesick, wanted to get back home, but it was so much fun when we were on that ship at the same time. I wanted to be both places at one time. <laughs> but when we left there, we all missed that ship and wish we extended yeah. another year or two and stayed there. I uh, made rank really good, made good friends, like my supervisors. I just fell in love with the Navy because of it. So uh, I left the Midway. I went to uh, VA-105. It was an A-7 attack bomber squadron. And it was homeported in Mayport, Florida. And uh, we were attached to the carrier Saratoga, which was out of, uh, out of Mayport, Jacksonville. And so I went from living and working on the ship to being in a squadron with aircraft that were attached to a carrier. And I did a year on it. I wanted to see the East Coast, England, Greece, Spain, and those places. And that's why I changed home ports. But I sure didn't miss the Midway. Oh, I bet. Mm-hmm. Oh. Saratoga so, was. <laughs> mm. So is that where you got your love for travel, was through the Navy? The Navy, mm-hmm. And then in the Navy, when you're traveling, and I would assume it was mainly on the the uh, USS Midway, did you cross the equator on ships? Twice. Once? Two what times. Did they call it? Two times. Shellback initiation. Shellback. So that's, mm-hmm. that's pretty uncommon in the Navy, isn't it? That's pretty common in the Navy. Uh, when you haven't been across the equator, you call it a polywalk. <laughs> and it's a big deal in the Navy. Uh, when you get close to the equator, uh, every sailor who's never been across has to, you take your pants, you turn them inside out with your underwear on the outside. They paint a big P on your behind. <laughs> you have to turn your shirt inside out. You don't know this, but they wake you up at about four or five in the morning beating the garbage can. Uh, you have to hop out of your bunk. They march you down to the mess decks, feed you a meal that looks like something you wouldn't feed anyone, the donut that looks like a turd and <laughs> half-cooked eggs. and You have to eat this on your hands and knees. <laughs> and also what they do, they hoist the Jolly Roger. They put the flag, a flag up with the skull and crossbones. All the guys who are shellbacks who've been across the uh, equator dressed like pirates. And they're giving you the hardest time. After that, we had to crawl on hands and knees to the hangar deck. And they have some little things we call tie-downs in the deck that hold the planes down, you chain them down, keep them from moving while the ship's rocking. Well, these things get seawater in them, uh, hydraulic fluid, spit from sailors chewing tobacco. They make one guy get on one side and the other guy get on the other side, and you have to blow the water out of that pad eye into his face. <laughs> and then they put us on the aircraft elevator. On hands and knees, had to crawl, and this flight deck and the hangar deck have non skid on them. It's stuff painted on it that make it rough so planes won't slide. Crawl on hands and knees to the aircraft elevator. They take you up to the flight deck. And up there, they got things set up. You have to crawl through a chute that's full of garbage that they've been saving for a week. Uh, These guys, you go through a belt line, 
It may not really hurt you when you go use Beltline. Yeah. Uh, and then they send you to the Royal Baby. Well, this is a sailor's dresser. He's usually a chief petty officer, the guy who's been around. He's like a master sergeant. Could be anyone, but he's big and rotund. And he's got a crown on his head and a big diaper on. <laughs> you go up to him and he grabs your face and he's got wheel bearing grease on his belly. He rubs your face. <laughs> These guys are screaming at you and calling you a polywog and all this stuff. And you come out. And then they have these engine cans, we call them. They keep put jet engines in them, store them in. Well, this it boats in half. And so it's about the size of a bathtub. They make you go through that and you to rinse off. And when you get out, the guy asks you, what are you? They be calling you a polywog. I'm a polywog. Go back through again. And then you learn. Oh, I'm a shell back. And they say, get out of here. Oh. So you're done. <laughs> You have to throw your clothes over the side of the ship. They're so <sighs> dirty and messed up and full of smelly stuff. And they get kimchi and all this stuff from these exotic ports like the Philippines to help nasty up things. And you just smell horrible. And you're a, a week getting grease out of your nose and ears. But uh, oh my gosh! They give you this big certificate that says, know ye all these, and it's got dolphins and a king on it. Uh, uh, it says something about the domain of Neptunus Rex, having been found worthy and crossed the equator on the USS, the good ship USS Midway at this latitude and longitude is hereby declared and known as a shellback and is, gets all the rights and responsibilities. Just, it's got dolphins, like, really pretty. I lost that thing. I wish I had it today. Oh. Uh, they also give you a wallet size one, but they put it in your service record also. Yeah. So I got to cross again. And I was a shell back this time. <laughs> <laughs> I pity the poor guys who hadn't been across. But the poor first time I crossed, the captain of the ship was a polywog. He'd never been across. So he had his pants on inside out. And I think the Admiral initiated him. Oh. <laughs> we had a two-star Admiral on the ship, too. Oh, my gosh. That's great. That, that, that's a fantastic story. Thanks for sharing that with us. Yeah. I, I wasn't sure that that was the case, but when you started talking about your travel, I, I'd heard about the shellback before, and uh, it's, it's quite an initiation, as you oh, explained. Oh, it's a big deal. Absolutely. <laughs> That is crazy. Mike, were you going to say something? Well, I was going to say, yes, yeah, Sam, I'm sure glad I didn't serve aboard ship when I was in the Navy. That oh, you didn't serve pretty... a ship, Mike? <laughs> I, what? I didn't know you, you had been a sailor. Yeah, I was in the Navy. Yeah, I was in the Philippines. Uh, were you? Yeah. I was a little before your time, though. <laughs> <laughs> that Philippines was a great base and a great stop. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I never served aboard ship other than just training uh, uh, early, you know, when I was, uh, well, you know, it was never, never during active duty, I'll say that. Mm -hmm. So you served in the Navy and then you get out, it sounds like you were in for about three or four years, is that right, four years? I was in for four years, uh-huh. And then what did you do when you got out? What was your, what, what did you go, did you go to college, did you? I went to college, I, uh. You know, I had in the back of my mind of uh, going back into the Navy after I got my degree, going into the officer program. 
And I was thinking, you know, working with these aircraft, I wanted to be a, a pilot, naval pilot. But uh, I was uh, I went on and majored in business. I looked at Rice uh, for a moment, uh, going to U of H and maybe taking Navy ROTC at Rice. But uh, I found out that they built a junior college, uh, San Jack South, down there in Houston. I was staying with my sister and brother-in-law here. And uh, so I transferred from U of H to San Jack South, did my two years there, and kind of took a liking to a girl. Oh. It's most guys' story. Followed her up to Sam Houston State. And so I ended up, I saw her less there at Sam Houston than I did at San Jack. I was shy then, and she didn't even know I had any interest in her. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I <laughs> ended up at Sam Houston, becoming a Sam Houston Bearcat. Uh, I stayed in the reserves, Navy reserves, and drilled uh, over in New Orleans at the Naval Air Station, and uh, stayed with that until I uh, retired from reserves. So at Sam Houston, what, what did you study when you got there? Were you still in general business? Uh, business administration, uh-huh. Okay. I got a bachelor's in management. Uh, stayed there a while longer, trying to pull my GPA up. <laughs> got enough credits to get a second bachelor's in marketing. And then I went to work for, well, let me just, let me give this little story if y'all don't mind. Yes. I lived in uh, Ann Shaver dorm, which was for seniors and graduate students. It was a co-ed dorm. And it was up on what we call Sorority Hill. All the sorority houses were there. Well, right across from it was a criminal justice center. Sam Houston has a big criminal justice school. Oh, yeah. And all the cadets for TDC who want to be prison guards go through that. They train there at the criminal justice center. And I looked over one day, and from my dorm, I could see uh, on the hill, see all those uh, cadets in the TGC uniforms uh, taking a break. And I looked over and I said to myself, they must be the craziest people in the world. Ain't no way in hell I work for TGC. Well, next year, I was one of those guys out there. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I came out of college, the economy was down, uh, the oil business was down. Yeah. Uh, so I just ended up taking a job there for about a year and a half or two years. Wow. Prison guard. Really? I did not know that. I didn't know it, but it kind of prepared me for high school. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, do you have a good prison guard story that sticks out? <laughs> Many. I don't know if they're appropriate for church members here. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> right, we'll, we'll put that in the edited version. <laughs> well, I, I, I got some. I got a couple of stories. Uh, inmates would make liquor in there. Okay. Uh, and they're not supposed to. They also smoke marijuana. <laughs> uh, me and another guy, I worked the midnight shift, the graveyard shift, uh, like 10 at night till six in the morning and we go through and uh, go through the whole building and look for for things that were unusual. Well, we went to the shop, the auto shop, it was a wood shop. 
and uh, we call it chalk because it was milky looking at homemade liquor. <clears throat> and so this guy pulled back a rug and then there was a piece of wood over it. And in between the floor, we pulled out a couple of five gallon buckets of uh, homemade beer, chalk. They were, sa they were saved it for the Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> So we walked through the building to dump it out. <laughs> Some inmates were still up and so don't dump it out. Just let me have a cup, boss. They call you boss. Boss, so just let me have a cup. <laughs> oh, somebody's going to be mad. <laughs> oh, gosh. Crazy. Did you ever uh, feel afraid? You know, uh, a couple of times I worked in a, after I was there a while, they put me in a, a couple of outside units. They were Quonson huts, basically, old military Quonson huts, and inmates stayed out there. Well, I was responsible for two of those Quonson huts, and the power would go out from time to time, the electricity. <clears throat> Couldn't see your hand in front of you. And uh, throughout the whole prison. And I, I had a, a good relationship with the inmates. I treated them like human beings. You know, I did my job, but I didn't try to cause anyone any unnecessary pain or anything. But the lights would go off. <laughs> I would think, man, I'm out here, just me and them. Uh, one day, it was not in that unit, it was in the main building. We turned inmates out to work. And TDC seems to change rules at the drop of a hat. Well, all of a sudden, they couldn't take the coffee cups with them out to work. You know, they leave the cells and go to work wherever in the building. And so uh, as this inmate, he looked about seven feet tall. And it's just me and Gray and a bunch of them a sea of white. And I'm telling this inmate, no, you can't take your coffee cup out. They changed the rules. And he says, oh, yes, I am. And I said, oh, no, you're not. <laughs> I'm thinking these guys could just watch me. <laughs> in the end, he turned around and took his coffee cup back. So... You know, I, it was an interesting experience, but I was glad when I got out of there. It wasn't so much the inmates. It just, just wasn't the place for me. Yeah. And, and I hate to say it, but some of those guys, those guards who work up there, they think if you're an outsider, you're not from that area, you're taking a job that their relative could have. Yeah, sure. And so they kind of resent you being there. So, yeah. so I got to accept where, it. Where did you go from uh, being a, a prison guard? What was your next stop? I got accepted into graduate school, MBA program at Sam. And so I went, went back to Sam Houston, back to college, and uh, worked on my master's. Your master's in business? In business, mm -hmm. All right. And then, and then did you, when you graduated that, because I know you've been a high school teacher forever, so when did you, so, so what, after your MBA, what was your next step? I, uh... You know, when I got my bachelor's, I was talking to some kids up at Sam who graduated with me, or were, were about to graduate, and they said, you know, this, if you don't have a job, they say this place, Spring ISD, right there, it's hiring substitute teachers. So back in 80, 86, I put in and got hired as a sub, and I think I worked for four or five months. And then I left. Well, after I got my master's, couldn't find a job, a decent job. It seemed like it was harder for me with a master's than it was with a bachelor's yeah. trying to find a job. 
And so I went back to Spring ISD and put in and uh, got hired on as a substitute. Uh, started out mostly at Westfield High School. I went to Spring. I did elementary, all grade levels. Uh, that's where I met Lois in the library. Oh. She was a librarian and I was a substitute. And the librarians had trained me so that when one of them was out, I could be a substitute for them. So I knew it pretty good. Uh, but I was a, a substitute teacher, did it back and forth and uh, while I looked for a job in business. But I was really working too much for the school district to, to actually look for a job. Yeah. I enjoyed it, and I finally got hired on, though, uh, with the city of Houston uh, doing contracts out the airport. So you, I hated it. <laughs> you worked for the city of Houston after okay. subbing, you went and worked for the city of Houston, and you just didn't like it. I did not like it. It was a revolving door. They treated people like dirt. It was like who you know, and I, just, I hated it. Uh, when I was subbing, one of the assistant principals was telling Sam, get your teaching certification. He kept on me, get your teaching certification. And so I thought, I'm going to get my teaching certification. I was still working at the airport while they were taking their lunch breaks and laughing and joking. I was studying for the test to become a teacher. Uh, I had gotten to know a few people at, at the school, in the schools, and uh, one of them, Norma, she was over special ed department. She said, uh, I wanted to teach business because my degrees were in business. She said, Sam, uh, those business teachers don't, they don't leave. They either retire or die. <laughs> she said, if you go to special education, that's wide open. Uh, you can take the test for business to become a business teacher later. So I got in special ed and I liked it and uh, became a teacher. I uh, taught for two or three years and I uh, got my principal certification. And I did that uh, off and on. Uh, one of the assistant principals left and uh, I took over her job for a half a year. Got paid for it. <clears throat> but it was not pleasant. <laughs> Dealing with all the bad kids, the problems. Yeah. The kids aren't happy. The teacher isn't happy with the kids and the parents not happy. <laughs> and I'll tell this story. I went to work one day when I was a assistant principal. It was before seven in the morning. Two of my kids had been in the fight on the bus. The bus hadn't even made it to school. There were two parents in my office wanting to see me. They hadn't made appointments, and they weren't there to tell me how great they thought Spring High was. <laughs> my alphabet was A through F, and I swear every bad kid in school was in A through F. <laughs> I watched those views with Lois on TV, and they show some guy in trouble, some criminal, and I said, I bet his last name is A through F. <laughs> I uh, I finally, I, I went back into the classroom. It was a lot more enjoyable. Uh, administration, I was at, through the whole football season. You there from when school started. I got to work at like before six in the morning. Yeah. During football season, you there till the uh, football game is over and all the players and kids go home. That might be midnight. And any activity they have at the school, they have to have an administrator there. So it was a nice 
a little jump in pay, but to me, when you divided the hours up, I was making less and getting a lot more gray hair. Yes. (laughs) So, okay, so you met a little cute librarian named Lois, and um, so um, when, how long um, after you met her did you all marry? Eight years. (laughs) Eight years? (laughs) And I thought, I thought I was rushing it then. <laughs> oh my gosh. Hey, it, it, it take me two weeks to pick out a pair of shoes. <laughs> oh my gosh. You know, we are eight years and I just I knew she was a girl for me after a while and uh I don't regret one minute of it. Yeah. Uh, just a, a great wife. Yeah, we dated for eight years. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. She went to Pennsylvania to check on her mother and ask if I would watch her house. And uh, so I stayed at her house while she was gone for about a week. And I just kept thinking about her and I was looking at pictures of her and her husband had died, but looking at her in a wedding dress and all that stuff. And I just kind of fell in love right there. Lois had three cats, all of them black cats. Two of them were kittens. And everywhere I went in that house, the cat, a cat was following me, bathroom and everywhere. And I looked up one day, and the cat had his head in my oatmeal box. And I thought, that's it. <laughs> she had a three-car garage. She lived in a big house. And I thought, those cats are out of here. I gathered the last one, t- taking them out to the garage, got the last one gathered up. And she told me her son was coming by. The doorbell rang. And there's this kind of short man with a beard, young man. And he said, oh, I'm Rob. I'm Lois' son. And I got this cat in my hand, about to take him out to the garage. <laughs> I said, oh, hi, Rob. <laughs> Rob didn't tell on me. <laughs> so I went and got the cats and brought them back in the house. And no, we have four cats, and I brought three of them. <laughs> Rescue, that's cool. <laughs> she said I was a cat hater, but now I'm a cat lover. Yes. Y'all saw one in my lap. <laughs> Yeah, it came from Spring High. That's awesome. Oh my gosh, that is awesome. <laughs> so, um, okay, so then you have been a teacher, but I, uh, I know you just recently retired, right? Mm-hmm. So, how long did you end up um, teaching? Um, from what well, you were there a number of years. Like, how long were you in the teaching community? I was that. I was at Spring High for 22 years. That's what I thought. Uh-huh, 22 years. I had substitute taught with the district eight years prior. Wow. So all total, I had 30 years uh, with the district. That's something, Sam. I know you must have been so loved, too. Mm. You know, I, I used to tell Lois just about every day, I got the best job in school, and I, I just loved it. But we changed. I didn't know how Gayla had it. Our principal left. She got pulled into the administration building. Uh, not by choice. We got a new superintendent. And we got new principals. And I just didn't know how much difference the principal made. It. Things just kind of, they weren't as much fun. Yeah. It was like when the new principal came in, they were like, well, I'm here to clean things up. Y'all have been slacking. Everything's your fault. And, and so I hung in, I'd say, another 10 or 12 years. Uh, 
the last principal we got, who's a principal now, was a godsend. She appreciates her teachers. She's as close to Gloria Marshall, that was our first principal, as we gotten. And I think she was what the teachers in the school really needed. But a lot of things she wanted to fight for for us. Uh, superintendent didn't see eye to eye with and her husband told her you better do what you're told because we need your pay to help pay for this house <laughs> oh, my so goodness. yeah things change over the years the school changed the district changed for sure uh, i still enjoy it i miss the kids but it's a it's a it's a different animal now i left just in time because the virus hit uh in March or so. Mm -hmm. I left in January and uh, Gosh. I'm just glad I had the time in to, to retire when I did. For sure. For sure. So, so now that you're retired, what's your plans? Are you and Lois going to travel? Are you, what's, what's It was all planned, but with COVID-19 put a dent in that. Yes. <laughs> but that's all planned. When things uh, open up, we're going to travel some. Yeah. I have Do you have a, any uh, main destinations you want to go visit? New England. Lois wants to go to New England. Uh, we want to go back. Uh, we love up the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, oh. uh, Mackinac Island and all those places. Uh, and I want to take Lois to San Diego. The Midway is an all museum in San Diego. Oh. They didn't cut it up. So you can go on it and... I want to take her and show her where I worked and where I ate and where I lived for two years. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. That'd be cool. That. Mm -hmm. that would be. So, Sam, do you still tinker with, with engines? And, you know, you said when you were young, you and your brothers would build things. And is that still something that, that's a hobby of yours? Or is that just um, not so much anymore? I got too many warehouses full of old garden tractors. <laughs> the kind I grew up with. I've always... Somewhere in the back of my mind, my folks were country people, and I always thought I wanted a, a garden. A few chickens grew up with chickens, a garden. And my uncle had a in dime box. That's where my mother's from. He had tractors and all that stuff. And I got a warehouse full of garden tractors. Two of them ride, and the rest walk behind. I got plows and disc and everything you need for a garden. Wow. I thought when I retired, we'd move out to the country, and. Uh, live a country life. We'd be like Green Acres. Lois is looking for the mall. <laughs> I'm looking for them. <laughs> I restored one of those tractors. Uh, and uh, I got about 12 more probably that need restoring. I'm not sure where I'm going to go with that. Yeah. I, uh, I've lost interest a little bit. But I still have fond memories of growing up with that stuff. And the equipment I have now is, is antique and it's hard to find. And I uh, used to belong to a little club of guys who collect them. And I still get calls from guys because I, I make a clutch for the transmission and you can't buy those anymore. And so I let guys, I sell those to guys for just a little bit more than it cost me to, to make them. So, uh, yeah, I got God knows how many engines over there I want. Got all parts to overhaul them and these tractors and all these other parts. We still have a love of old cars. And my brother and I talk about it all the time. But 
you used so, to could take a car and an old car and put a couple of thousand dollars into right. it. Have a nice looking. Now guys put thirty or forty thousand dollars into them. I don't have that kind of money. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yep. And I don't have a room to put an extra car in the garage and restore it. And, you know, it's fond memories. We talk about it and look on YouTube. But my brother has a couple old Mustangs he messes around with. But we kind of think those for the younger guys now. Yeah. <laughs> oh my and those God. with Jay Leno's money. <laughs> yes. <right>. Yeah, right. <laughs> But I'm always, I got a toolbox and repairing something around the house here. I do my our own oil changes and maintenance on the cars. And once in a while, a neighbor asks me to check on something for, for a car, and I'll, I'll do that. Yeah. Very cool. Very so, cool. So, Sam, we, we didn't touch on this, but well, I want to ask you about your faith. You've been a member of Northwoods for quite a while, and uh, David mentioned that he felt like you're a strong Christian faith, a man of high character. Where, where does that come from? I mean, what was your upbringing and, and that as far as your, your Christian faith? Uh, I said mother was Methodist. We grew up Methodist. And uh, she made us go to church every Sunday. We had to walk to church. Uh, she'd give us she put a little cologne on us, so some of her perfume behind our ears. I forgot my brother told me that. she make us go to church every Sunday. We had to respect any adult. It was yes, sir, no, ma'am. If Miss Jones said she saw us doing something bad, mother didn't argue with Miss Jones. She said we did it, we did it. We were well-behaved at school, and... Uh, that's where that came from, uh, a love of the Lord and Jesus. And that carried me through the military and uh, just been with me. Lord's always taking good care of me. You know, Sam, just interesting, too, just listening to a lot of your stories. It sounds like he's, he's provided a lot of really great mentors and um leaders for you throughout your life to kind of follow some suggestions and directions and it's oh absolutely like, yeah mm -hmm. yeah it seems like you've really had some great people placed in your path along the way oh my sister brother-in-laws uncles uh military guys yeah. and mother herself yeah she believed in uh spell the rods for all the child yeah had to go cut a switch when you got in trouble. I hate a tree now. <laughs> you cannot get away from that switch. <laughs> so funny. And those old folks, they tell you, I'm going to wring your neck, boy. And growing up with chickens and seeing a neck rung on a chicken, you do with that neck. <laughs> That's so funny. So, yes, you believed in that spell of rod, spoil the child. <laughs> Oh my gosh, Thomas! Is there anything else we 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 need to touch on before we uh, close out here? No, I I was just gonna say, Sam. I I feel like I've gotten to know you real well tonight or today on this this podcast, you, and there's a lot more to you. I mean, I don't you know the from your time in the Navy to your upbringing, and and then then the the fact that you your career has been a prison guard, working for the city of Houston, teaching, subbing, I mean, the Navy, I mean, just so diverse. And 
Um, you know, you, it seems like you've kept a great attitude throughout it all, and you're able to sit here and tell these stories, and I've enjoyed listening to your stories and listening to your laugh. I well, appreciate thank you. And I, I've enjoyed Northwoods. It's, uh, it's more Methodist than the Methodist church I grew up in now. <laughs> music and everything, and I, it is, and I just, I love the people, the music, and made friends for a lifetime, and I feel that the Lord is there, and thank you guys. Oh, Sam, absolutely. You have been on our list since we started um, this podcast last year. We have been wanting to hear your story. And like Thomas said, oh, my gosh, there's there. that's my favorite thing about this podcast is, you know, we know each other from, you know, volunteering together or sitting at church together. But to hear some of these stories and just hear more of someone's story to just kind of like, weave it all together is just so wonderful and so thank you for taking time today to to speak with us the navy stories could go on and on but we don't have that much time (laughs) i'm just still freaking out about the whole crossing the equator and i'm glad my son did not have to do that (laughs) well i am too (laughs) well uh, it's it's an honor though i i the people that are so it is an honor it's uh it's something else Huge! Oh my gosh! No. Well, awesome. uh, and the Lord kept me. He, I came close to dying one time, my last year in the Navy on the flight deck of the Saratoga. We had a plane crash and set the whole flight deck on fire. Wow. But uh, it was it was a good Lord who saved me through that, and I was able to survive it and we uh, able to get that fire out. And we lost a couple of pilots, but oh. that's part of the Navy life. But Jesus was there with me. So. I love it. I mm-hmm. love it. Sam, you're a good man. You're a good man. I'm so, oh, thank so you. glad to know you. Thank you very much. For joining Same here. Thank you, Sam. y'all. Okay, All guys. Right. Bye-bye. We'll be in touch. Take care. All right. Thanks for listening to More to My Story podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review us on your podcast service. And please also share us with your friends and family. You can find more about More to My Story podcast on our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages.